So last week, we took an offering specifically for Alliance Missionaries. Uh, it's a movement across not only this nation, but around the world that we are connected with uh, as a Christian Missionary Alliance Church, The Awakening is. And, uh, you know, I didn't know quite what would come from that, just brief moment, that kind of thing. And uh, we are just really pleased to announce this morning we had over $5,000 given for uh, missions last week. And uh, if you would like to continue to be a part of that offering uh, to support our Alliance International workers, uh, such as uh, uh, this doctor that you just saw in Senegal, uh, there are about 700, I think over 700. We had uh, Keith Negenfein, from, who had been a missionary in Thailand, speak last week, and I think he said we're now over 700 missionaries on, in 70-some different countries and uh, people groups around the world that uh, they don't go around and raise support. You didn't see Keith last week saying, hey, raise support for me or something like that, right? Uh, we give to a big kettle uh, that sits at the national office, which is in Ohio, and that kettle is called the Great Commission Fund. When you open up an app and when you give uh, on a check and you mention, you can just mention Global Ministries Fund, it goes directly to that. But uh, just thank you so much for supporting uh, that offering last week and not just supporting our missionaries, but praying for them, being sensitive to a global work that we're a part of as a church. Um, there's about 12 to 15 different churches in Ukraine, we mentioned, uh, as of the tragedies that are happening there. And we have missionaries and, and uh, national workers that are there trying to forward the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you are a part of a much larger family than the awakening family in this building. You are part, a part of the Christian Missionary Alliance family that's around the world. So thank you for engaging with that. And thanks for coming today. I think we should offer tacos every week. Seems like everybody aligned their schedules to be here today. There are a lot of people, so that's good. Uh, we're going to jump into God's Word, and before we do that, I'd really like to just invite the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts and our minds to the Lord's truth, not for others, but for us this morning. Will you pray with me? Our Lord Jesus, in these moments that uh, we've been able to gather and worship, we thank you for your amazing grace. And we thank you that we can come together as friends and family and even guests this morning to be able to focus not on all uh, the things of the world, but to focus on your plan for our life. And as surely as we just prayed for um, the seniors that graduated from high school from our body, Lord, we pray that you would be able to send us out to discover all the plans and purposes you have for us not for ourselves, but for your glory. So through your Holy Spirit, by going to your word, may you speak. May you keep distractions to the side. And Lord, may we hear your word for these moments as we've gathered. In your name we pray. Amen. So we have uh, been on a journey through the last number of months. And uh, this journey has been in uh, a series called Unshakable. It's out of 1 Peter and uh, it is my goal to try to finish out First Peter this month, but we'll see what happens. But I, I think we're, we're targeted that direction. Now, in First Peter, we've talked about Peter the Apostle writing to a group of believers in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, who were up against an awful lot of persecution. 
And so their understanding of what it meant to be a Christian was vital to them just sustaining their very essence in life. And he was writing to them not in a woe is me, woe is us kind of frame of reference. He was inspiring them. He led off talking about the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so today, he's again, as we move towards the close of this letter that he's written, going to exhort Christians concerning real life. And real life, as you and I well know, has hard times. And so I want us to focus on the hard time realities that we experience. And then we're going to look at some exhortation as he's starting to close out this letter to again circle back around and say, this is the reality that you need to focus on if you're going through hard times. How many of you are going through hard times? That's being honest. How many of you expect hard times to come again to your life? There you go. So we're all getting ready. How many of you never expect to have any more hard times the rest of your life on this earth? Now that's an optimistic person if you raise your hand, all right? We all have hard times. Maybe you're in a hard time right now. If you're not, then get ready because there's probably a hard time coming. You cannot predict what life is going to throw at you. Because you cannot predict other people, you cannot predict circumstances, you can't even predict the weather, right? We have an amazing reality that we have to face every morning. And maybe you've heard this statement, you never know what a day holds, right? You never know what a day holds. Now, here's an equal truth. You never know what a day holds concerning a hard time or a crisis, but you also never know what a day holds concerning God's intervention in your life. And we were going to find out today that it's usually during the hard times and the suffering that we grow the most, that we grow the most. I want to uh, just encourage you this morning that if you are in a hard time, that um, there's not all the answers going to be unpacked here today. And one of the things that's beautiful about even just seeing uh, us as an extended family this morning is I know that there's relationships that can be built here, and you can lean on one another. You can share those times together, and you can move through those times together. Satan's, one of his number one tactics whenever we're going through hard times or suffering is isolation. Do you know that? Solitary confinement is one of the worst punishments in a prison, right? We were made to be relational. And what happens a lot of times when we're going through hard times is we pull back and we isolate ourselves. But here today, you have the opportunity, and especially as we spend some time in lunch afterwards, just to continue to build friendships, whether it's reconnecting with old friends or meeting somebody new. There's the need for us to journey through life in relationships one with another, even though sometimes the hard times we come into come by relationships. So I don't want to think, okay, here's going to be the final, especially as we close out this letter, uh, Peter, here's the the final, you got this for the sufferings and the hard times moving forward. I am mindful that there are some truths that can lift us up and give us perspective here this morning, but the journey that you might particularly be in concerning a hard time is one that you're 
the journey with the Lord, but also can be on the journey with some of the Lord's people to sustain you. So here's the verse in 1 Peter uh, 4.12 that we're going to look at. Now, we have talked in this letter that um, he is exhorting the Christians there that they have the opportunity to shine a light for Jesus Christ in the midst of suffering and hard times and point people to him. And he exhorted them to live redemptively, to make sure that all that they're doing, they're seeking to see others redeemed or come to know the Lord. He exhorted them to pray effectively, that we need to be in the midst of our hard times and the challenges and to pray and to intercede. And then two weeks ago, the last time we spoke here, we talked about three clocks ticking. We talked about the clock ticking as it relates to our personal lives. We don't know how much more life we have. The clock's ticking for those who are outside of Christ, who are non-believers, and then the clock's ticking for us as a church with our opportunity, not just this church, but the church in general, the universal church, they're on all the ages, to be able to do the ministry of God. And so we're on the clock to live redemptively, we're on the clock to pray effectively, we're on the clock to live our lives in such a manner that even those who are skeptical about Jesus Christ can be uh, drawn to him. And then he says with verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Dear friends, do not be surprised. Now, He's saying this, why? Because apparently there were some Christians that he was writing to that were going like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is happening to me or that this is happening to us. I thought that if I made this decision to be a Christ follower, that things would go better. And so he's just simply addressing them. Don't, don't be surprised. You, you never know what a day holds, and especially it's true if you have chosen to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Because you see, he must have realized with them that they had some unbiblical and thus unrealistic expectations concerning what life as a Christian is. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, if you would claim to be a Christian, um, then you are included in this particular exhortation, and so you might find some affinity in it. If you are not a Christ follower yet, uh, or maybe you're just a seeker and trying to understand what God has for you in your life, it's probably pretty important to know some of this perspective that we're going to talk about. Because um, if you do cross that line of faith, and we would encourage you to do so, um, it's not easy-peasy kind of street. In fact, many of you could stand up here this morning and give witness that maybe your life was easier before you became a Christ follower than afterwards. And, and the people in Asia Minor at that time, they could definitely say that. If they'd just gone along with the crowd, been a part of the secular world, if they would have uh, worshipped Caesar, right, uh, then everything would have been fine. But because they refused to worship the emperors of Rome and because they chose to uh, go against uh, some of the Jewish belief of that day that Jesus Christ was uh, not the Messiah, they had 
come into an experience of hard times. So hard time realities. I want to just list for you some unrealistic expectations that we can sometimes have as Christians. And to some degree, sort of true or false, you decide with this. Christians always have happy marriages. False. False. It's not true. If you marry a difficult person, you're going to have a difficult marriage, right? We have temperaments, and our temperaments get in the way, and there are challenges. Just because you become a Christ follower does not mean that you're going to have an easy-peasy kind of street as it relates um, to your uh, marriage. How about this one? Christians are always motivated to love, pray, and serve Christ. False. That's just uh, Christians struggle with mixed emotives. Uh, we love Christ and we want to serve Him, and, and we do this uh, life of serving God, though, in the flesh. And so we have challenges and we have temptations. We are constantly in need of being renewed in our inner being. And that's one of the good reasons to make the once every seven day worship gathering a part of your life because it helps recalibrate life because you get discouraged and it's challenging during the course of a week. How about this? Christians no longer struggle with sin, doubt, and fear. False. All right, how you doing on this exam so far? You will struggle with sin, doubt, and fear. Now, you have truth, and you've walked in that truth, and you understand it, but we will always uh, have conflict with these kinds of things because the world in which we live. Christians feel pain less because Christ is in them. False. If you put two guys on a football field, one a Christian and one an agnostic, and they both break their leg in the same place in the same way, they are both going to experience pain. Just because you're a Christian does not mean that you're not going to experience pain. You know, the Apostle Paul, as it relates to issues of of uh, grief and stuff, he said that uh, Christians do not grieve as the world grieves uh, because we do not grieve without hope. That's true. We have hope, eternity. We have God's uh, resurrection of all those who are followers of Christ to live with him forever. And even if you die with brokenness of a human body, you get an imperishable body. So we have that hope. But that does not mean that you do not grieve as deeply as a non-believer because you are a believer. So Christians do feel pain. Christians, how about this one? I mean, this is a little Bavarian one. Christians should not mean, need medication if they are trusting Christ. Ooh. Now, we believe Jesus Christ is Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King. Christ is our healer. He heals. But we also live in fallen, broken bodies. Unless the Lord Jesus Christ returns... Before you die, your body will expire. We need God's provision through divine healing, but we also need God's provision through the intelligence and the beauty of 
medications and the things I actually heard somebody say this week. He says, you know, some people, and I could probably be in this category as a guy, guys are in this category. He's like, I don't want to take medication because of how it makes me feel. And the person said, well, other people need you to take medication because of how you make them feel. <laughs> Medication's okay. But just because you're a Christian does not mean that you don't need medications and for God to be able to work through that provision that he's given us. How about this one? Christians are safer, healthier, and wealthier than other people. False. Now, you uh, take diligence in uh, keeping care of your body and uh, making wise investments and all that's a part of that. Uh, you're going to experience a bump in life and, and a help in life, that kind of thing. But just because you're a Christian does not mean that somebody's not going to burglarize your home or somebody else is uh, not going to fall into uh, some type of uh, ill health position, even if they exercise and do everything else, or that there's not some type of investments that might go sour and there might be challenges. Being a Christian doesn't change that. And I'll just give one last one here. Christians don't get tired or discouraged. False. There we go. Somebody's witness over here. I have a witness over here and a witness over here, right? We grow tired and we do get discouraged. The reason scriptures are so full of the exhortation to persevere is because we do get jaded, we get discouraged, and we get wore out. Those are realities. And so when Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you, he means it. He means it right-size your expectations. Right-size your expectations because challenges will come, suffering will come, pain will be a part of your life. And even though the particular pain that he's given address to in this letter is the pain of formal opposition to somebody who is a believer in Christ forging the faith forward, it can be in other dimensions as well. But it's especially in the dimension of Christ followers who seek to take a stand for Jesus and grow in the faith. Malcolm Muggeridge was a, um, a British satirist. He uh, was a journalist, wrote. He was agnostic, atheist at one time in his life, and uh, fairly famous in his day. And he came to know the Lord, and he looked back over the life, and he has uh, a lot of really good perspective and things to say about life. I've read some of his works. He was having an interview with William Buckley in his uh, latter years, and this is sort of some of the gist of what he said, looking back on his life, having not been a follower of Christ, then becoming a follower of Christ, having all the accolades of a famous person, a notorious uh, uh, person of notoriety in his culture. And he said this. He said, as an old man looking back on one's life, it's one of the things that strikes you most forcibly, that the only thing that's taught one anything in life is suffering, not success, not happiness, 
Not anything like that. The only thing that really teaches one what life's about is suffering. And so with that frame of reference in mind, Peter says, don't be surprised at this fiery ordeal. So you need to right-size your expectations, what's realistic in life, by looking biblically at what those who are Christ's followers are called into. Now, I suppose on one side of uh, my uh, champing of God's Word this morning, especially maybe if you're newer or you're just sort of trying to figure out where God's at in your life, this is not an encouraging talk. It's like, well, then why would I cross the line of faith and follow Christ? Well, we're going to pack that just a little bit. But Christians live in Reelsville. And if you're not a Christian who lives in Reelsville, then you need to take more serious what the Scriptures teach and the realities around us. Many times in our culture, Christians are perceived as those who live in this holy little huddle and they're naive, they got these dogmatic, judgmental attitudes because you're not a part of that group. But we have a culture that needs real people that understand truth and do it with a full measure of God's grace. Because people, and maybe you're one of them this morning, fall on hard times, even to the point of some people choosing to remove themselves from this life. And it's serious. And it's not only serious for them, it's serious for us as believers because I see more and more Christians sometimes who come to a crisis of the faith and they can't figure it out. I thought, hey, all those things you just went through, I thought those were going to happen for me. And they can't contextualize, why did all this bad stuff happen to me when I'm trying to pursue God or at least put him as first in my life, even though I'm struggling with that. And they get to a place where they sort of step away from the faith. I mentioned the word before, a lot of the young generation is doing deconstruction of the faith. And there's nothing wrong with that because you don't take on your parents' faith. I mean, your parents' faith helps and helps give some framework, but you have to own your own faith. And so to deconstruct your faith in one sense is healthy, but you have to reconstruct it according to God's word and what ultimate reality is. And we need not Christians that are in some holy huddle, not living in Reelsville. We need Christians front and center. Don't say it in an arrogant way, but basically, well, let's, let's take that on. Let's talk about it. Let's bring it on. And here's my situation. This is what I'm going through. And this is what God's taught me at these different junctures in life. We need believers in Christ who are strong in their faith, who know they have a living hope like Peter's exhorted this group of people, because of the resurrection of Jesus. But they're also right-sizing the reality that lives around them. And so I want to list for you three realities you need to grab a hold of today as a believer. And the first is this. Reality number one is Christians live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. It goes back to the time of Adam and Eve and sin coming into the world, and sin has broken this world down. Now, if I was to step outside, in fact, I was thinking about it driving to church this morning early, we live in a beautiful world. The mountains, trees, beautiful homes that have 
been crafted by gifted people. We live in a beautiful world, so we're not denying that aspect. However, the beautiful world that we live in that was created by an incredible artist named God is fallen. And in this fallen world, we have to reckon with the realities of what sin has done. What sin has done to individual human beings and what sin has done even in creation and nature. Scripture says that even uh, creation itself groans as in pains of childbirth right up into the present time. We also groan. It, it, what's this groaning? Well, the groaning is it's not paradise. It's not the Garden of Eden anymore. Now, we're headed towards a new paradise. Jesus said to the thief on the cross that acknowledged him, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. We are, we are headed towards a paradise when God will make all things right. But the years that we live in now, we live in a fallen world. And I believe that it's important. I think it's interesting, you know, for us being able to honor uh, some of our uh, graduates today is that they are now into the adulting years, right? Well, do the adulting years have this big wake-up call going, oh my gosh, I never knew it was this way. Well, on certain kind of things, right, provisions and taking issues. But they've been living in Reelsville in their high schools, all right? But we need to encourage our students and one another that this reality that we live in a fallen world is all around us, and we shouldn't be surprised or shocked. We are deeply grieved about what's happened in Ukraine. It's horrendous. We, we can't imagine what it would be like to be a parent who loses a child in a school shooting. These are all evil things. But why is there evil? Because we live in a fallen world. And as much progress as we've had in this beautiful creation of God that's fallen, we will not be able to redeem it. We will not be able to take it into the future paradise. As hard as we work, no matter who we elect, however we structure our lives or what business or entrepreneurial thing we come up with that helps the world or be involved in, in social justice or some type of even like the medical aspects, all those things are helpful and important. But we live in a fallen world and it will not change ultimately until Jesus Christ comes again and changes it. And so it's appropriate for us to teach our children and encourage one another not to be a big, I'm sorry for all the Debbies here, but it comes to my mind, <laughs> Debbie Downer, right? It's, it's like, hey, listen, don't, don't be an Eeyore in my life. Carrie, what are you doing up there today? No, I'm not trying to be an Eeyore, rain on your parade. I mean, it's taco day. Come on. <laughs> but we need to be realistic that we live in a fallen world. And in this fallen world, it's appropriate to talk about World War number one and World War number two. Oh, the fear of even World War number three. Or why do people do that? Or what's going on in the heart of an individual that, you know, we can identify something like a mass shooting, but there's all other kinds of dispositions of people that are wreaking havoc in other people's lives, and maybe they've wrecked havoc in your life. 
Why? Because there's sin. And sin leads to evil things. We live in a fallen world is reality number one. And so Peter just says, hey, what's going on, man? Don't, don't be surprised that you're facing fiery trials. It's par for the course living on earth in these days. Uh, reality number two, then, is this. Christians, if you claim to be a Christian today, you need to remember that you follow a crucified Savior. You know, if you follow some celebrity or maybe you're close in their entourage, you would expect to get a little bit of favor from that person, right? Maybe you are on a sports team, you know, if you played for the Golden State Warriors and and you were part of that team, even if you sat on the bench, or maybe you're a part of one of a statistician or something, you would sort of glean some of the benefit of Stephon Curry being able to do an awful good job of shooting the basketball, right? It, maybe if you were in a war or involved with a general that was leading, you would expect to receive some of the reward kind of thing. You attach yourself to individuals and you think, okay, then, then it's realistic that I might be able to gain some of this. Well, you as a Christian, do you know what you did? You attached yourself to a crucified Savior. Someone who was rejected. Someone who was hung on a cross. Someone who died. They didn't get put on some throne in this world. You chose to become a Christian. You chose to follow a crucified Savior. That's why then he says in 1 Peter 4.13, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So let's just right-size reality in our hard times. You taken on some enemy fire because you're a believer in Jesus? Welcome to being identified with Jesus Christ. Because he was a crucified Savior, and it didn't end up that way. If he, if he would have gone with the flow and handed out all the niceties and, and not sort of got into people's faces about their sin and the problem, or, or claimed to be God, uh, he would have sailed through and been known as, oh, this great prophet. But he was crucified. Let's just take a moment to look into the life of Jesus. Um, here's just some aspects, some simple statements about Jesus' experience of life in this world. And you can measure whether your experience is the same uh, vein uh, as what his was. Jesus. He worked hard in manual labor, making a living that was never more than enough to merely get by. He was never married. He had no children. He never became a homeowner. In fact, Scripture says that he had no place to lay his head. And he was the special focus of Satan's particular attention, the devil tempted Jesus with greater force than any person has ever been tempted with before or since. He was, most, he was the most unappreciated person who has ever lived. 
rejected in his own town. He described himself as a prophet without honor in his own country. Another, he, he had the frustration of colleagues who did not understand what he was saying and were reluctant to follow where he was going. He knew the deep pain of being betrayed by one with whom he had shared so much life and to whom he had given so much trust. And when he faced his greatest hour of need, he looked for his friends. None of them were there to stand with him, including the guy who wrote this epistle, Peter. I don't know him. And when Jesus faced false charges and they were brought against him, there was no one who would help him find justice. And finally, he reached down in love and in giving love to others, but found his love was returned with hatred from the very people that he had chosen to serve. And this doesn't even come to include the cross, the crucifixion, and the punishments and the sufferings. Can you identify with any of those things? Well, if you do identify with those, then um, it may be because you are a Christian, a Jesus follower. Because when you attach yourself to a crucified Savior, you are going to find yourself aligned or maligned with some of the very things that happen to him. And so, just encourage you this way, let the life of Jesus set your expectations as one of his followers for your life in this world. Now, maybe that's a downer to you. I don't know. But what I want to step into is I want to show you that I believe there's something beautiful about hard times and suffering when we identify as a Christ follower that not only causes us to right-size our expectations by looking to his life, but that his life becomes more of our life and helps sustain us as we walk through hard times. Peter then says this in verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You go, I'm blessed? You get to identify with Christ. And identifying with Christ and his sufferings is a blessing because of what stands before you. He says this then in verse 15, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. In other words, don't go out there and go, oh, woe is me. All kinds of bad stuff's happened to me. When you're not living for God or you're choosing to be, as he saw, says here, a murderer, a thief, or criminal, or a meddler, um, you know, maybe it's ethically or something like that. You're like, don't get all the hard times coming your way because you go out and violently sin against others in the world. 
But if you go out and you're a Christ follower and you're choosing to follow him as broken sometimes as you are, you will find suffering, but don't be ashamed. Don't be surprised. Don't be ashamed because the praise of God is upon your life because you bear his name. And so there's encouragement that begins to come in this. Reality number one is what? We live in a fallen world. Reality number two, Christians follow a crucified Savior. Reality number three is that Christians are in the process of being saved. What do we mean? Well, if you jump to verse 18, it says this, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, we'll stop right there. What do you mean it's hard for the righteous to be saved? I thought Christians were saved. You need to understand this, that when it comes to salvation, there's three salvation tenses, past, present, and future. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is by grace you have been saved, Ephesians says. So when you become a Christ follower, all of your sin, all the guilt is forgiven because Jesus Christ paid for it on the cross. And when he forgave your sins, he forgave your sins, past, present, and future. Your debt was canceled. You stand justified before the Lord Jesus. It happens in a moment in time, not because you do good works or keep showing up at church and hoping you become a good person. When you believe in Jesus Christ, then his atoning work on the cross and the power of his resurrection is imputed into your life. And you now stand in his righteousness. You are saved when you become a Christ follower. Past tense. That's the joy from which we live. We're not trying to earn our way to God. We can never earn it. His righteousness has been imputed to us. But this question is hard for the righteous to be saved. I thought the righteous were saved because past tense being saved. Well, there's the other sense that there is a future salvation when we will be done with this world of sin, a new heaven and a new earth, right? When Jesus Christ returns the second time, as Scripture clearly teaches, and we long for this hope of the future of when we will be saved. But there is a middle tense to our salvation as Christians, and it's this, that we are currently being saved in the midst of a broken and dark world. He goes on and says this, and, and uh, if you back up then the one verse, it says, For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, that what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God. Now, this isn't some harsh condemnation like the judgment of God. In fact, I recently got a correspondence from someone in ancient history past, and I couldn't even remember them. And man, it was a judgmental kind of thing about something that I did or didn't do, or the church did or didn't do. And I'm like, where did that come from? This verse does not say the judgment begins in the house of the Lord and you better turn it around straighten up. It's that God's justice and his righteousness is going to look upon those who are Christ followers and see that the penalty has been paid through Christ. The judgment begins then. But then we look at those who are not Christ followers. What will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel, the good news of Jesus? 
And then he says our verse 18, and it is hard for the righteous to be saved. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So he moves through the context of that verse, but I really want to zero in on this point of reality number three. Christians are in the process of being saved. Jesus dwells within you, but you are not automatically Jesus. Now, are you? Just ask your spouse or one of your kids. His Holy Spirit lives in you. And as you move through life, you learn how to yield to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, and allow His power in your life to overcome sin. Because Jesus died on the cross just not for the penalty of sin, praise God, but He also died to conquer the power of sin in our life. And no matter how great you get at living for Jesus, you always will be tempted because there's an adversary and because you have a sinful nature until the day you get the imperishable body. Your sinful nature has died to Christ because he lives within you. But you have the opportunity to walk away from that sin. Remember a couple weeks ago, we said, just be done with it. That's a part of your past. Why are you dinking around with that or falling into those sins? It's like you're a new person. So as you're a new person and you're walking into this Christian life of growth, you are in the process of being saved daily by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are very discouraged with where you're at in your Christian life right now. You stay the course. Give yourself another few months, a year, two, and then look back. If you stay the course and want Jesus Christ to transform your life, His Spirit will do that. He will quicken you when to say no to this, when to say yes to this. He will will teach you how to live in His presence, how to overcome opposition. All these things that pull us asunder are real. We live in Reelsville. Hard times will come. But as you grow and your salvation grows through your life until that ultimate day of future salvation, then we have reason to live for him. So let me give you a warning and an encouragement. Overcoming the power of sin... And going against the current of the world is an ongoing battle. Don't be surprised about the painful trials of a Christian life. As they say, any dead fish can go downstream. But when you choose to try to go upstream against the current of the culture of a fallen world, you will find challenges and you will find trials. You name it, maybe you're in it right now, maybe you just came out of it, maybe it's going to happen next month. Identify that it's part of the reality, but then just not be woken and surprised, like, thank you very much, Pastor Kerry. It's like, yeah, hard times are going to come. That was a great message. Woe is me. Let's go at it and see what happens. No. Rather, keep trusting God and growing in your intimacy with Jesus Christ. Christ. Each of us have our own trials that we could point to, but one of the deepest trials in my life is when I felt I had people that loved me, serving with me, turn against me. It caused for major disruption in my life and my family's life. 
There was a verse that I had as one of my favorite verses, and maybe some of you heard me share this before. It was transformational to me. This verse is in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. And I said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Uh, that's what uh, the Apostle Paul said. And, and as I, he's a young person, as a young minister, and growing in the faith, I'm like, that's me. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And then the hard times came. Reality hit. Oh, my goodness. And pain, pain to the point of being curled up in my bed in a fetal position and not wanting to get out. Just didn't want to face life anymore. Hard times. But then God revealed in this passage of Scripture something that really I knew I had it memorized, but I didn't experientially feel it or understand it or be enlightened by it. And it says this in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. Oh, I don't know if I want to go there. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Those are the good things. Those are the good things about knowing Christ and His resurrection. But right there in the middle of this is in the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. And became revealed to me that even though I went through these hard times, was going through these hard times and the pain and the suffering, I was able to identify with Christ and his sufferings and rejoice. I've identified with a crucified Savior. And he was insulted. He was rejected. He was ostracized by people. I wasn't put to death or punished like he was, but I could identify with some of the other stuff. And I'm like, whoa, I guess I'm in Christ. You know, we talk about Christ being in us, the Holy Spirit, but I am in Christ. So if I'm following Christ, then what happens to Christ in many ways can end up happening to me because I identify with him. I'm identify with a crucified Savior in a fallen world. And when I identify with him in these hard times, these pain comes, then what do I do with it? Do I go, ah, I'm out of here. I'm done. Forget it, God. Or do I move myself into a place of discovering fresh intimacy with him? Identifying with the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And I don't know about you, but there was something beautifully redemptive in my suffering when I started to see that could help me identify more with my Savior Jesus. So the hard times may not go away. The pain and the suffering may not go away. But if you turn it with your focus to say, I can identify with Christ and grow in him, then you will find blessing and encouragement in that. But the last verse here in this section we're looking at here today, it ties into that very thing. And as I was looking at it this week, I'm like, oh, that would have been really good verse for me back then too, right? Or maybe the next time I head into suffering. 1 Peter 4.19, then he says this. He says, so then those who suffer according to God's will. Now, it could be God's will that I fall into suffering. Not that he brings about the suffering, but I live in a fallen world. Reality number two, I identify with a crucified Savior. Number 
Uh, number two, uh, I, I guess it could be God's will that he allows it to happen because I am being saved. I'm in the process of being transformed. And so here was another verse about suffering that I could have grabbed a hold of back then, but I sort of grabbed it afresh this week for the next time a hard time comes. It's like, okay, this could be the will of God that he's allowed it. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So in painful trials, I'll just add those two in there then. Keep trusting God, growing in your intimacy with Jesus Christ, remaining committed to him who is faithful unto the end and continuing to do good. You live in Reelsville? As a believer, know that Jesus Christ draws near to you in your pain and suffering and wants to continue to save you and transform you into his likeness because you've identified with a crucified Savior. One of these days, he will save you with a new heaven and a new earth if your name's written down as a follower of him. But today, you live in a fallen world. Jesus, in these moments, for those who are challenged, I pray they would find your comfort, your strength, and your purpose in the midst of whatever's going on as they look to you. And Lord, for the rest of us who very well could face something this week, may the hard time realities that we've spoken of today from this letter 2,000 years ago, may they draw us to look to you and your purposes in all things. For you are the sovereign God in control of all things in all ways at all times. In your name we pray, amen. There's a prayer area up here to the side, and uh, I want to encourage you to come and pray with someone if you need have. I am uh, going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to sing It's Amazing Grace, but I'm going to do something I don't normally do, and this is not against the band. Uh, tacos are ready. So if you're one of those people who say, I've got to be first in line, I guess you can go while we're singing. We will not look down on you because we need people going through that line because it might be a line. But for the rest of us, as we mingle out and the children's ministry people, they're actually going to be staying right in here for their brief meeting, not venue B. They've moved it in here to sit in these chairs. I want you to stay here. Uh, we're going to sing this song out. It is amazing grace for us to have a, uh, a heart that's focused on God's salvation in all things. But you are dismissed to be able to go get in the taco line or to stay here in worship. And if you're a children's person, you need to be seated in these chairs at the front so you can get to the taco truck as soon as possible. Does that sound good? All right. With that, the ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as we close as well. And